Hello and welcome to the Reading Room Podcast. This is our Christmas special podcast. There's no room number with this one. We normally have a room number. We have done room six. Uh, this is like room 6A. It's the secret door behind the passageway um, and behind the cupboard that leads into Narnia. And uh, coming up on, on this podcast, uh, we're very, very pleased to say we've got a Christmas story from Pierpont Gamston Primary School Writers Club. We've got a Christmas poem from a uh, previous contributor, Dave Wood, and another previous contributor, uh, Richard Barter. He's going to be reading one of his short stories. And um, also, Johnny and I will be telling you about our favourite books, and we'll also be uh, letting you know what Stephen Lawrence, who couldn't be here, sorry to say, Stephen Lawrence couldn't be here this month, um, and he let us know what his favourite book was too. So thanks very, very much for downloading the podcast, downloading this and previous podcasts please continue to do so and uh, i'll see you on the other side you're listening to the reading room on siren 107.3 fm tidings a christmas belch to be sung seasons greetings christmas puddings mince pies nut roast and the like who's that crying must be jimmy falling off his christmas bike seasons beatings over gamings scrabble ludo jenga too Who's been cheating? Must be Albert. Think he's hiding in the loo. Seasons treatings. Chocolate orange. Red wine, white wine, baby sham. Who's that burping? Great Aunt Hilda drooling over Christmas flan. Seasons greetings. Soon it's over. House in chaos. Now we're beat. Who's for coffee? And a biscuit. Just a small one. By the tree. Yes, just a small one by the tree. Tidings, A Christmas Belch by Dave Wood. And uh, Dave appeared in an earlier edition of The Reading Room, uh, which I'm sure you can find on our podcast. More details to come about that later. And um, I'm hoping that Dave's going to do some more for us. I'm going to be twisting his arm to do something a little bit special for The Reading Room Live, which is another thing I'm going to announce to you later on. We're going to do an official announcement about that in February, but I'll give you a bit of a tease about that later on. Now, looking forward to next year. Uh, on normal editions of The, the Reading Room, we, uh, we sit around, we have The Reading Room Book Group, and uh, we invite local people around and yourself included if you want to get involved reading room at sirenonline.co.uk email us you can email us on that and any any subject just let us know what you're reading let us know what you think of it and we'll read it out now we use the lincolnshire library service uh, so there's 180 uh, reading groups that use the same uh, library list so um, it's going to be a lot of books that uh, you know a lot of people are reading and or will have read uh, so here's the list here's the, li- the reading room book group list for the new year starting from february um, these are in no particular order because we've not got the list through yet but we're going to be looking at uh, Boy in the Striped Pyjamas by John Boyne uh, Half a Yellow Sun by Shimamanda uh, uh, Adichie Oh, Johnny, I knew I was. I, was, I, I wanted uh, the BBC have those special uh, announcement things for names, don't they? We need one of those. <laughs> uh, I'm going to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse that name. Uh, Long Way Down by the easily pronounceable Nick Hornby. Uh, Margrave of the Marshes by John Peel. Company of Liars by local author uh, Karen Maitland. And Case Histories by Kate Atkinson. And uh, then after six months, uh, we'll have another look. And of course, you can get involved and look at what's on the uh, Lincolnshire Library's reading list. Is there something you want to review? And come down to our studios here at the Brayford on Siren uh, Siren headquarters here uh, you're very welcome to do so uh, once the dates are known uh, we'll put them on the website which will be uh, sort of over the uh, in, in the new year The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM
Uh, now it's time for the uh, Reading Room's tea break. Frost, a short story from Richard Barter. Now, on a recent edition of the Reading Room, Richard Barter uh, read one of his short stories uh, that was so moving, it had me in tears when we recorded it, when I edited it, and when we played it out. And I'm so pleased to be able to say uh, that we recorded a Christmas story in the same session. Uh, Richard belongs to the Lincoln Phoenix Writer Circle, who provided some great content for us here at the Reading Room, and we're very grateful, and Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, this is no exception. Not Present is written and read by Richard Barter. Hannah had been eating her heart out for months. Once they had come to sharp words, and it had taken Dawn several deep breaths to tell her daughter that they could not afford it. But Mum! Hannah had despaired. All the other girls have one. Dawn knew this wasn't true. Chatting with other mothers at the school gates taught her that this perennial cry of the hard-done-by child was genetically programmed to stab a knife of self-reproach into the soul of any parent. Hannah's model could not compete against those of luckier classmates. Two or three girls had the latest version of whatever mobile was in vogue, but certainly not all of them. Why should I feel guilty? Dawn protested, watching Hannah skipping across the playground at the end of the day. Her girl was presentable, with no hand-me-down charity shop appearance. Dawn ensured Hannah did not stand out from her friends. There was enough of a stigma to be lived down as it was. It's not my fault. He should take the blame. And she was right. At least the courts had said so on several occasions. The squirming throng evaporated in a chattering and shrieking haze. A brief hug and they were on their way down Coptill Street and round into Denmark Road with its row of terraced houses and home. Dawn didn't need to ask what had happened at school. Hannah enthusiastically volunteered a garbled rundown of every event. A mother's duty at this moment was to make appreciative noises and keep abreast of friends in favour and those who had fallen out. Hannah's excited babble helped Dawn conceal her own pleasurable anticipation of Christmas morning when her daughter unwrapped her big present. Already the advent calendar had several windows open. There was not long to wait. She had saved for months, putting by odd coins in a jar, denying herself little treats. Only this morning she had taken a hoard to the store. The eager teenager had been most obliging. For a moment she flattered herself that he had taken a shine to her, had some post-pubescent fancy for an older woman. Then she realised he was only keen to make a sale. But it did no harm to dream once in a while. His cheeky grin guided her through the catalogue. He offered the top of the range. She could not afford it. However, she came very close. She ordered almost, but not quite, the cream of the must-haves. Its possession would promote Hannah up the pecking order of phone fashionistas. Even those girls, blessed with a seasonal upgrade, would not be able to look down their noses when her daughter checked her texts. Moreover, innocuous questions had ascertained from Hannah the latest, hottest colour. Money was handed over, plenty of credit was installed. The tiny miracle of technology was safely tucked in its hiding place. In mid-December, Dawn heard the news. Then she made her real sacrifice. She had known that Steve was due out soon, but on visiting day, he told her his release had been set for December 30th. Typical, she told herself, as she pretended to smile. He couldn't even make it in time for Christmas Day. But then he seldom had. Married a dozen years, in all that time he had only managed seven Christmases at home. Even their first one together had been spent apart. Now in less than two weeks he would be home. Dawn considered Hannah's reaction. 
Father was a rare commodity. The longer the absence, the greater he was appreciated when he returned. He made such a fuss of his daughter, stringing out every cliché about his little princess, throwing her into the air and catching her in his strong arms, making sure he took her to the latest tween musical, buying her the newest CDs. He could always manage to find spare cash for a brilliant display of fatherly exuberance. But it was all short-lived, with none of the permanence and warmth of a simple cuddle, a good night kiss. There was never the security of a regular job, and he was soon gone, leaving nothing in the bank to tide them through. She'll be so excited when I tell her, Dawn muttered, as she held his hand across the plastic tabletop in the visitor's room. Her words concealed her foreboding. Steve's face lit up. Will she? I can't wait to see her. His lies came with their usual glib insincerity. Yet she had to believe him. For Hannah's sake, she hoped that this time they could make it work. Why won't they let you out in time for Christmas? That's mean of them. He shrugged. Don't rightly know, love. Something to do with my time on remand. We'll have to put back Christmas. Hold it when you come. It's only five days. I'll tell Hannah. We'll have Christmas the day you come out. She won't mind. No, she'll understand. It'll be so much better when you're there. Dawn was already planning. They could not afford two celebratory days. If they kept things low-key on the 25th, they could manage a good do on the 30th. It would seem strange to keep the big day ordinary, while everyone else was making a fuss. But that post-Christmas anti-climax would suddenly become special with all three together again. There remained a niggling doubt. She wondered if he was worth it. But it was for Hannah. That was all that mattered. Breaking the news of no Christmas Day provoked a mixed response. But once Hannah re realised that Daddy would be arriving for a welcome home party, with turkey and stuffing and everything, her eyes lit up. Dawn determined that nothing would spoil that moment, even if it meant forfeiting what she had struggled for. Steve would never find time to buy a present. Would he have the money? Would he even guess what a nine-year-old girl would want? Dawn could not face her daughter's dismay if Steve turned up with some unsuitable gift. She knew Hannah would disguise her disenchantment rather than upset her daddy, but far better if there was no need for subterfuge. A suitable present must be found. Next day, returning from seeing Hannah safely through the school gates, Dawn drew out a small package from its hiding place and cut off the label. On Christmas Eve, they held a sensible woman-to-woman -woman discussion. They agreed that the morrow would be treated like a normal day, with one concession. They would exchange just one present each. Still in their dressing gowns, clutching a cup of tea, a bowl of cornflakes to hand, they went into the front room to share a happy Christmas hug. The three-foot artificial spruce still sparkled, even though one set of lights had fused. Out in the kitchen, the radio assured them that somewhere in heaven, herald angels were singing. From the modest par beneath the tree, they each rummaged out one gift and handed it over. The little shop run by the Polish couple had done them both proud. Dawn unwrapped a gaudy collection of cheap cosmetics. She chose to ignore the garish colours, brushing away a tear thinking how her daughter had counted out her pocket money with her in mind. As Hannah discovered her own set of face paints and powders, Dawn regretted for an instant that she could not have afforded more but comforted herself that in five days' time a more glorious gift awaited, which would make up for parsimony today. The holiday passed slowly in front of the box. 
In the afternoon, Hannah visited friends, coming home silent but wistful. It was hard to see the good fortune of others. Mother and daughter sat on the settee, consoling each other with a countdown to the big day. At eight o'clock, the small gate opened on a mild, dry morning. Steve stepped over the threshold, his brown paper parcel all too obvious. He breathed a sigh, inhaling, true to custom, his first fresh air of freedom. Then he strode away from the tall, imposing walls. In Denmark Road, Dawn and Hannah were keyed up as they rechecked every detail. They knew they must not put things on too early. Dinner must not be ready before time. The morning dragged. They half expected the phone to ring, but hid their disappointment when no call came. At the station, the departures board informed Steve he had an hour to wait. He did not fancy the railway buffet, so sauntered out into the congested street and found a pub. He could easily afford just one pint. A handful of notes was in his pocket, and he had no need for a ticket. His railway warrant would see him home. Noon came, with Hannah glancing at the clock. Dawn assured her that it was probably too early to expect him quite yet. It was a long way to come, but they could put the vegetables ready in the saucepans. The oven was turned down a few degrees. A sigh, not of impatience, nor exasperation, more of resignation for hope delayed, marked another dragging two hours. At last the turkey could wait no longer. Had they eaten on Christmas Day, the spread would have created a buoyant mood. Now it only stressed the shallow nature of stale festivities. To put off the moment, fast approaching, when Hannah would run upstairs for a secret cry, Dawn suggested they open the rest of the presents. This was soon done. Hannah showed her mum the gifts from her circle of friends. Dawn was glad she had not let down her daughter there. Each of the other girls would have had something in return. Nevertheless, the smiles, the thanks, the hugs proved token gestures, hiding thoughts that dwelt elsewhere. Under the tree sat two more parcels, which Dawn was beginning to realise would not be opened that day. Guilty for having built up such hopes, Dawn sought for any way to stave off despondency. For a moment there was nothing. Then, Hannah, you know where I keep those boots of mine? What, those dreadful old brown things? They are so last year. Dawn couldn't resist a smile. She responded in kind. Like, whatever. I think you should take a look. Hannah understood at once. She was under the stairs and feeling behind the coats among the litter of boxes at the back. Hands searched one boot, then the other, ferreting out a small package. Hardly was she back in the room before ripped paper was rustling to the carpet. She had guessed already what was inside. As the box was torn open, Dawn's prayer was answered. The slim, pink, shiny object nestled in the palm, devoured by glowing eyes. A different sigh thrilled into the air. Suddenly, she found herself yanked side by side with her daughter. They stood cheek pressed to cheek as Hannah's long arm stretched out to aim the mobile. Smile, Mum! Then it was taken that mother and daughter shot which Dawn would forever remember as the one which made her look as if a tinsely tree was growing out of her head. Shared joy was short-lived as Hannah picked up the gaudy paper and glanced at the gift tag. She waved it in the air. See, Mum, I just knew he wouldn't forget. Of course not, love. Hannah curled up on the settee, fingers already sending her first excited messages. Dawn fought down her bitterness. She had made the sacrifices, yet he took the prize. Worse was to come, though. 
In a while, she must search for plausible excuses that would let Hannah down gently and help her to cope with disappointment. One day, though, she knew she would have to face the inevitable and break it to her daughter how her father had finally failed them yet again. Hiding her distress, Dawn straightened the cards lined along the mantelshelf. She sneaked a glance into the mirror to see Hannah engrossed in her texting. But the fingers were still, eyes riveted on the tell-tale handwriting on the discarded label. A pale, thoughtful face was reflected straight back. For the tiniest fraction, their glistening eyes locked. Then Hannah's head quickly dropped back to the screen. Yet in that brief, sympathetic exchange, Dawn realised that her daughter already knew. It's Christmas, so we'll start. It's on with the lights to warm the dark. It can close You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Uh, right now, I'm going to uh, launch 101 books to read before you die. This is something that is uh, it's a feature that's actually just currently evolving. In fact, it started to evolve during that last track, Johnny and I uh, debating uh, in which way we're going to go forward with this. But uh, on our next live programme, 6th of February, 10am, uh, don't be late, uh, is going to be the first of a new series to the reading room, and that's 101 books to read before you die. What we want is approximately one side of A4 paper of why a certain book must be read before you die. Uh, because you should never ask someone to do something you're not willing to do yourself. The first edition will be penned by me, which uh, at the moment is a toss-up between McCarthy's Bar by Pete McCarthy or uh, The Dice Man by Luke Reinhardt. And um, I think McCarthy's Bar's winning at the minute, but you know I'll, I'll go to sleep tonight and change my mind about that as usual. Uh, but if you can get in contact with us with a short essay on the book you think other people should read and why, and then uh, what we can do, we, if you're far away and you can't get down to uh, the studio, you know, you might, you might be one of our many, many listeners uh, around the world on the podcast, and uh, welcome to you, and Merry Christmas to you, of course. Um, you can send an essay, we can read it out for you, and uh, it'll be yours to keep. And other than that, if you live uh, certainly in the region, in the Lincoln area, uh, you can come on down to the studio. It's your community radio station, so get involved. And looking ahead to our next live programme, it's going to be on Sunday, the 6th of February, and uh, that's going to be following a meeting that we're going to be holding soon with Lincolnshire County Council and hopefully we'll be able to announce the full details of a live event that will be broadcast live exclusively here on Siren 107.3 uh, it's going to be the Reading Room Live up uh, held at the Bishop Greaves Theatre now I can't say any more about that for now because we haven't finalised the details um, but I'm in equal measure extremely excited and extremely nervous and uh, I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic thing we're hoping to put it on around the book festival uh, provided uh, all that goes ahead this year you're listening to the Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Now we're going to talk about our favourite books of the year and uh, that, that last track was picked by Stephen Lawrence and uh, his book of the year um, is... Now, I've actually bought this for someone for Christmas, this book. Um, so, I don't know they'd be listening to it Boxing Day, so he might not have opened it yet anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's going to be uh, Life uh, by Keith Richards. And now, I've done what you do with uh, all, all these sort of biographies and things like that. I've flicked through the pictures uh, before I've wrapped it up and uh, it just looks absolutely fantastic. You know, I mean, it, it, the fact that he's remembered everything <laughs> to, uh, uh, to, uh, to tell the story is, is, is phenomenal. So I'm hoping that this book uh, finds its way back round again, you know, because that's what giving books is all about. Would you agree, Johnny? 
I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you give to receive it? Well, I'm, I'm giving that very same book to my dad, so I'm kind of hoping I get it as Johnny well. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're, again, you're hoping now that he's opened it before? Uh, yeah, I hope he has, yeah. It's Boxing Day, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, right, so of all the books you've read this year, Johnny, what, what, have you, what would you pick out as to be your favourite? I think it has to be Stuart Lee's book, um, How I Escaped My Certain Fate, The Life and Deaths of a Stand-Up Comedian. It's a fantastic book. If you're interested in comedy at all, it's basically it's built around complete transcripts of three of his live shows. And he goes through in intense detail, you know, analysing where each joke came from, why it worked, why it didn't, um, remembering how things went down, how a piece of material that gets a fantastic response in one town does nothing in another. And it's, it's a complete mystery <laughs> to everyone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're interested at all in comedy, it's an absolute... Absolutely brilliant book and a, a complete masterclass. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some uh, some interviews with him recently, and uh, we went to see him at last year's last year's Lincoln Comedy Festival. Could have been the one before. It's uh, if you want a milder comedian, please ask for one. Yeah. And uh, some of the interviews I've heard, they, they really make me think about uh, the way some people do stand up comedy. Because whenever I see someone performing a piece of stand up comedy, in my mind, and you, uh, I know you might think I'm naive with this, mate, but uh, it seems. That that's what that person is saying. And certainly Stuart Lee, the character, is different to Stuart Lee, the person. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so whereas maybe he might be... I remember he did a, a piece a while back about the, the old TV presenter Tom O'Connor. Now, he may or may not feel that way about Tom O'Connor. But in my mind, it was like, you know, he's definitely saying that. And I've heard Ricky Gervais talk recently about this as well because he'd made jokes about uh, Lenny Henry, for example, and he really likes Lenny Henry, good friends with him. Uh, but he'd made a joke about Lenny Henry not being funny. And then all of a sudden, people think that's what he thinks. But it's Ricky Gervais's character, not actually, you know, what yeah, he thinks. Yeah. So it's, uh, he it's, talks a lot in the book, actually about when things have been made up and he's very very honest about when he's simply made something up because it sounds good and it gets him from one place to another in the act yeah so but i, I guess some people a book like this they might find it a bit you know like seeing behind the curtain the wizard of Oz. you know it kind of yeah. gives away the how it all works but it, if you're kind of interested in comedy on that level then it's, it's fantastic yeah it does it absolutely intrigues me so uh, on this uh, what we've been talking about here of books going around maybe that could come around my way in the new year uh, possibly yeah, as long as I get it back yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okie dokie now my book of the year um, now if, you, if you've downloaded the podcast if you've listened to the reading room uh, it will be no surprise that it's uh, One Day by David Nichols which uh, is just an absolutely fantastic read it's, uh, it's all set in places uh, there, is a, there is a moment that just you know absolutely knocks you for six in the book it's well characterised now when I first uh, started reading it, I, I, I thought, well, oh, this seems a bit wishy-washy, uh, but very, very soon it picks up and uh, it, it takes you. And it's one of these, one of the many books that just lately I've read where I've slowed down towards the ending. Not like that Maeve Binchy book where we read, you know, the ending seemed to be happening in real time. But uh, uh, but this book, and if you go into any popular high street. Uh, uh, chain will not mention the name uh because they win mention their name all the time on this program um you'll you'll find it and it's uh, it's cheap at the moment i think it's about five pounds you can you can get it in there now when when i started talking about one day uh, by david nichols I, I was i was hoping to keep it for myself and not let everyone know i was hoping it's going to be underground but i think it's going to hit the big time probably next year uh when when the film comes out again uh, it's already a very very popular book and uh, but i don't think it travels well i think in my review i said that a lot of people in america uh, the reviews i'd read online um did 
didn't particularly get it. So, you know, but just like beer, things don't have to travel well, you know. It's, uh, sometimes the bitter tastes better in the north, doesn't it? Because they are beer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah, that's where, that's where we are. And the, the film's coming out, and I'm nervous about the film. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, when, when people really, really like books, uh, they get so, so nervous. And it's starring Anne Hathaway, uh, which really does make me nervous. But the writer, I've heard interviews, David Nichols, and he, he's really happy with it. You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. Now it's time for uh, an epic Christmas adventure, our Christmas adventure, uh, by the Pierpoint Gamston Primary Writers Club. I was uh, lucky enough to go down to the school and record this. Mrs Milton and Mrs Linday have been running the Writers Club at uh, their school for a few years now. And this takes place at lunch times when the uh, children happily give up their play to get involved with different types of writing. Uh, the children are invited from uh, Key Stage 2 to work together on a specific project. Now, the reading room asked them to write a story on the theme of Christmas. Given a proper deadline and the exciting prospect of being recorded before Christmas, uh, the writers' group set to work on their story. They started by using uh, Mrs Milton's super idea of ri- uh, writing a quest-type story. Uh, this provided a framework to build the festive and futuristic story upon. Initially, the children had to think of main characters, and they voted on the names and finally coming up with Mark and Lola. They established the pair's characters and agreed that they should improve with the story. As Mark lets Lola in on the joke-telling, and we see them both grow in knowledge and empathy. The children were trying to solve a problem, having three journeys to trek over and solve the real meaning of Christmas. It's coming at that time where people have forgotten what it's all about and the streets of London are no longer safe. The main protagonists were helped by their grandma Doreen to reminisce about how Christmas used to be like in the good old days. Gran has been sent some air tickets to visit a few friends in places far away and instead she sends the children to gather the remnants of the Gospel of Matthew from the few Bible-believing friends of hers left. They struggle to bring back presents and hopefully messages laid out by Jesus many years ago. The desire is to bring back peace to their community and share the good advice. Now the club were helped out uh, by placing the story somewhere in the future and the serendipity of the recent royal engagement announcement, uh, the children uh, agreed to set the scene in the time of King William and Queen Catherine uh, and this added to the futuristic setting splendidly. This is our Christmas adventure by Pierpont Gamston Primary Writers Club. It was Christmas time in London, although it was now known as IMAS because everything about Christmas had been forgotten, especially Jesus Christ. And everything just felt so wrong. But there were two very special children left in London who still believed in all the elements of Christmas. They were named Mark and Lola Kingston. The only reason they remembered was because their grandma, Doreen Baker, had told them so many times about what Christmas was like in the, what you call, olden days. This is what grandma always used to say to them. When I was a little girl, me and my family would sit in front of the toasty fire and sing jolly Christmas songs whilst eating mince pies. Mark and Lola always laughed at grand stories. As it was the holidays for them, they were staying with Grandma Doreen. They were not allowed outside because rules had been taken away and those people who still believed in Christmas were quarrelling with the people who didn't. So Grandma said it wasn't safe to go out, even though the snow looked so tempting. Instead, Lola tried to read her book as well as helping Gran with jobs. Mark decided to entertain them by telling jokes. This was his first one. Doctor, doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. Then pull yourself together. 
Lola just never found Mark's jokes funny. Ha ha, very funny. Not, she added sarcastically, whilst gazing out of the steamy window with the sparkling white snow. That didn't stop him telling more bad ones. Here is another he told. Why was ten scared of seven? Before either could reply, Mark continued by saying, Because seven, eight, nine, ha ha ha. This time, Grandma got a bit annoyed and said, If you want, I'll tell you both another story about Jesus. That would be great, Gran. Yes, please, said Lola. Can we have the treasure hunt, please, Grandma? It's my favourite, asked Lola. OK, then, replied Grandma Dorian. This is my favourite part of the story, said Grandma. God knows what people need. The most important thing is to follow him, to obey him, to love others as he does. God takes care of the rest, she told both Mark and Lola. Wow, that story sounds fab, said Lola. If only we could have an adventure and have some excitement instead of being stuck inside all day, moaned Mark. It's funny you should say that because some friends of mine have recently invited me over to see them. They sent two tickets for the round trip. With the latest jets, you should be back in time when your parents finish work from, for the holidays. I'm sure you two would enjoy that more than me, and I'm too old to go travelling. Wow, Grandma, that would be awesome, said Mark. You'd have a job to do. It would be to bring back the real meaning of Christmas, written down in an old Bible text called Matthew. My friends will be happy to let you have them. Lola was getting excited. We'd love to go. Who should we visit first? Gwen said, here's three maps to get you to see Betty in the North Pole, Vicky in Bethlehem and Lily in the Caribbean. Thanks, Dorian, shouted Mark. And you can bring back some ideas to make London a better place to live, you cheeky monkey. The next day, they took the map with Betty Smith's name on and got a huge boat to the North Pole. They knew that was the place where the first clue would be. As they went past the highlands, towering over the coast, the weather went below freezing. I bet I can tell you what the temperature is, based on Mark. No, you can't, whispered Dola. I can, Mark answered. It's minus five degrees Celsius. Looking at his mobile, grinning. Suddenly, they saw a huge iceberg. It was a thousand square kilometres by 500 square kilometres. This was according to Mark, who thought he knew everything. Oh no, cried Lola. Don't worry, Lola, said Mark. I know exactly how to solve this one. Uh, uh, how? asked Lola. Uh, we break the ice, came the answer. After that, they were quiet for a bit. Finally, the skipper found a way to go around the iceberg. That was lucky. Hey, Lola, shouted Mark. Got a joke for you. What do you get when you cross a werewolf and a snowman? I don't know, answered Lola. What do you get when you cross a werewolf and a snowman? Frostbite, screamed Mark. They just got past a huge iceberg where they didn't know there was a sea of ice. The sea was full of ice chunks, so the skipper had to weave in and out of them. This made Lola feel seasick, so she went to the edge of the boat. Mark followed her, noticing she looked green. Why did the man take his pencil to bed? I don't know, moaned Lola, and I don't care. Because he wanted to draw the curtains, Mark giggled. Ah, oh, boys, thought Lola. Finally, the boat arrived at the North Pole. It was absolutely, positively freezing. Mark refusing to wear anything but his tracksuit bottoms and football shirt top. He did look great, but he was really shivering. 
He'd forgotten to put on more clothes, despite the fact that Lily was wearing thick socks, a vest, jeans, boots, a long sleeve top and a jumper, as well as a coat, hat, scarf and gloves. He did manage to get out the mat from Doreen, saying, We've got to walk for an hour. That should warm us up. His hair was stiff with frost as they came up to a cool ice house. This is where we get the first bit of the Bible, Betty's house, said Lola, who screamed when she peeped into the igloo. This was because of the scurry, tall shadow. Mark pushed her forward and gasped. Then they saw what it was. It was a mega huge polar bear who sniffed the air. Slowly it moved closer and closer. Lola whispered, how are you going to solve this one? Mark reached in his rucksack for a handy prodder to gently tease the animal off them. The bear liked the taste of the stick. There you go, much better than eating us, he said, pushing by to the back of the igloo, where there was a roaring fire. An old thing figure was bent over making a pot of tea. She was Betty Smith, who said, don't worry about my bear. He's my house dog. I saved him as a cub. He won't hurt you. You better watch out. You better not cry. La, 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 she sang. Lola noticed a delicate spider's web in the corner of the room. The colours reflected off the fire. The children stared whilst Betty gave them a job. She asked... Go outside and break some ice into pieces for my cooking pot, please. Odd, but they did it anyway. Lola held the pot whilst Mark broke up ice with a pick. Great fun, said Mark. In the ice was some wood with a clue on it. It made no sense, so Lola read it slowly. The riddle said, Someone who spies, plus the middle of middle, plus a noise you make when you think. Got it, easy, shouted Mark. Spy plus duh plus er, it's spider. If you say so, Lola replied. They rushed back in, passing Betty the ice. She smiled, well done. Now look in the web closely. There in the silvery web was obey me. They both saw it. You've done well following my instructions. It's just like the old days. She passed them a crumbled verse from Matthew telling them to obey God's rules, to take back home, and she taught them her song. They practised it all the way back to the boat, going quicker by this time by skidoo. Mark and Lola needed to get the next page from the Bible so Christmas wouldn't be gone forever. In the evening, they both went on another long plane journey. They had enjoyed watching the latest Star Wars film. Mark mumbled, My ears have popped, I need to go to a dock. Lola said, Shh, he could be so embarrassing. Eventually, the plane landed. They both felt so excited. Mark went, Yippee! Tel Aviv was bustling with traffic and humid. Mark went to the tourist information asking, When is the next bus to Bethlehem? It leaves in 15 minutes from Stand 7. The man was telling them where Stand 7 was. A few minutes later, they were both at the bus stop. I'm bored, Mark moaned. Don't be such a baby, Lola added. The bus came. The bus had a luggage rack on top, big wheels, beige stripes and squared windows. Must be rush hour, yelled Mark while staring at the empty bus. 
Ha ha ha, Lola laughed. It's very old too, replied Lola. They climbed on board the bus and it set off. Twenty-five bumpy minutes later, they got off and looked at the large village below them. It was sunny and the dust made it difficult to see the tiny houses on the hillside outside Bethlehem. Which way do we go? Lola asked Mark. That way, said Mark, pointing in two directions at once. Don't be silly, Mark. We need to find this friend of Gran's. Lola started searching for the map that Grandma had given them. It showed Vicky's cottage. Why don't we use this, she said, pulling out the creased and crumpled map from deep inside her rucksack. Lola said it says to go to the maze. The map says to go 100 paces until you reach a tall white building. Girls first, offered Mark. Lola mumbled, thanks a lot. They shuffled past the olive trees. Dangling from a branch was a tag with trust on it. Lola reached up to the tag and grabbed it. She put it in her pocket because she thought it might be useful later. Soon they had reached the white building. It seemed familiar to them from an old story in Manger Square. Mark pushed open a huge wooden door that he shivered and crept forwards. Inside it was cold and dark. Lola turned the tag over. She suddenly thought there might be a message on the tag and took a torch out from her pocket. Go up the stairs to the top of the building was written on the back. As they climbed up the stairs, lights flickered in the dark. This was showing them the way. When they arrived at the top floor, they found a colourful mosaic laid out. The children were speechless at the beauty of the old tiles and gazing for a long while. Mark, look, whispered Lola, there are some letters written on the floor. What were the letters written on the tag? Perhaps they match, said Mark. Let's try standing on each of the letters and see what happens, suggested Lola, who was keen to leave the building as soon as possible. She was worried that she was going to get caught. So they stepped on each of the letters spelling out the word trust. Immediately a door creaked open, leading them down a twisty staircase. Magic, said Lola. They pushed open a smaller door and walked out along the path that led behind the building. This path led directly to a cottage on top of a hill. It took forever plodding up there in the hot sun. Mark just said, I'm so skilful. He meant finding the X from the map. On top of the mountain where Vicky's cottage was, there they found the famous Vicky Jones, Gran's friend. She was wearing a long white dress and a matching scarf to keep the boiling hot sun off her. She said to them, You must take my love back to your Gran. Here are three candles to give her. She'll tell you about them standing for the three-in-one God. Mark said, cool. Lola said, 
I'm desperate for a drink. Vicky was helpful in getting them both a cool drink of fresh orange juice. Then she told them, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Tell that your grand too, please. Lola said, I'll remember that. Mark said, the king needs help to stop all fighting. Vicky passed them the missing Bible verse that said, with God, all things are possible. She nodded at them. Lola put it with the other ones. So they waved goodbye to Vicky. Vicky lent them her donkey to get back to the bus stop. They were supposed to take it in turns, but Mark let Vicky ride almost all the way home. They were supposed to take it in turns, but Mark let Vicky ride almost all the way home. There they were to go home by plane all the way back to London. They were a bit fed up of travelling and looking forward to going home. It felt quite exciting that this was their last trip. Another long plane journey though, this time to the Caribbean. Mark said, I suppose someone has to do it, grinning. As they got back on the jumbo chat, Lola chatted to Mark about what a fantastic time they had visiting the place where Jesus was born, and so close to Christmas as well. They were sad they couldn't find the actual place of his birth. It's a pity there were no shepherds to ask, nor a bright star in the sky to guide us, Mark joked. The plane journey was about halfway through when their delicious fish and chips meal came. Lola asked Mark, what kind of food do you think... Mary and Joseph ate all them years ago. Mark said, I don't know, it's far better than eating in the stables with the smelly animals. Mark then reminded Lola, we have been quite a good team recently. I'm really looking forward to chilling out, lying on a sandy beach in the Caribbean. I'm going to do some bodyboarding. Lola said, I'm just going to finish my book. I can't wait, but we've got to find Gran's friend first. You mean Lily Hornby, said Mark. That's the one. Soon they were getting off the plane and into a ship heading to their next adventure. Quickly they gave in their tickets that Gran had given them before stumbling up the stairs to the top deck where the setting sun was blazing down. Taking deep breaths, they watched the sea glistening. The waves splashed against the side of the boat. We nearly missed it, gasped Mark. Yes, you were talking so much you got distracted, said Lola rolling her eyes at him. As night fell, the waves got bigger and the wind howled. Surprisingly, they slept well, but when they got up in the morning, everything had changed. The sky was dull, the huge waves made the ship rock from side to side. Only five minutes later, everyone started rushing around as the ship reached the shore. Before long, they had gathered their belongings and left the ship to go different ways. A helpful passenger told them that there was a terrible tropical storm coming so they had to get to shelter as quickly as possible. Mark and Lola glanced at each other worried, then followed the crowd of people and left. No one else panicked. The place on Gran's map where her friend Lily lived was a long way from the dock, so they decided to follow the lady's advice and rushed in a cave nearby. Her smile had been so lovely. As they got to the dark door cave, the storm raged and small grains of sand sprayed in their eyes. Lola and Mark huddled further back and hidden in a shadow was a treasure chest sat waiting to be opened. Lola gasped. I bet it's gold. I can buy a mansion and a Ferrari. 
I'm going to be rich, said Mark excitedly. Calm down, don't be selfish. It might not be, but it will be precious, explained Lola. As she lifted the sparkling lid off, a slip of paper appeared inside. It read, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and with all your strength. The storm magically stopped and they felt relieved. They now knew what they had to do. They had to learn how to smile more. As they wandered through roads, beaches, and paths, Lily came to meet them. The woman on the boat was her neighbour. She gave them a hug, pleased that they were safe. Then she listened to their story as she cooked them some fish over a fire. The gold would help them rebuild after the storm, she told them. Your gran will be proud of you doing just as she said, and the smiling does really work, even when times get tough. They added the long verse to the others to take back, plus their smiles. That one was easy, said Lola. At last we can go home, Mark said. No offence, but we're homesick. Thanks for all your help, Lola quickly covered for him. Lily wished them a safe journey and go with God, she said, kissing them on both cheeks. This time Mark didn't mind. They hopped onto the helicopter and travelled on a speedy journey home. Then she laughed at his funny mosquito knock-knock joke. Lola jumped out of the London helicopter, sucking up all the fresh air she could. What a flight! It's good to be home as well, she said, feeling more freedom than she ever had before. Mark just stepped outside, sighing with tiredness. I'm too tired. Do we really have to do this, Mark asked. Yes, of course we do. First we need to tell Gran about everything and give her treasures. Remember, we're trying to make a better place for us to live in. Let's gather everyone up and spread the old word of Christmas. Oh, and remember to tell them about the big feast we're going to have, Lola gabbled. So, Mark went to a family, knocked on the door and said... Hello, we're having a party and you're welcome to come along. Is it all right if I give you some advice? Of course you can, said the mother. Great. Always trust God, try to be good, see the light and never stop smiling. If you do all of those things, you could be one of the happiest, nicest people in the world. Thanks. Oh, and sing a jolly song. The mother smiled and said, Oh, that sounds lovely. Just like the good old days. We'll try. See you there. Mark knocked on another door and said, Hello, I've got a joke for you. Can I tell it before I forget? Yes, you may, said a nice young lady. Good. Knock, knock. Who's there, she asked. Doctor, Mark giggled. Doctor who? What? You know my joke, but how? Anyway, thanks, Mark said, looking shocked, nearly forgetting to invite them. Oh, well, he kept going for ages until he bumped into Lola. So Mark and Lola walked up singing their new song. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. After knocking on every door in London, they had a nice chat. Grandma had let them out as they had policemen to help them. Turns out that they were telling people the exact same thing. After a while, everyone started to talk about the big party. All of a sudden, Mark started jumping around with excitement. Lola paid no attention. Ready, Mark? Lola asked. Ready for a feast, screamed Mark. And everyone's welcome. Lola went north and Mark went west. Even though they went different ways, they met up again. Tired now. Let me tell you a joke, said Mark. Lola said, no, it's my turn. What happens when you cross a spider with a goat? I don't know, Lola told Mark. A spy goat, 
She started to laugh. Quite good, that one. I must remember it. When Mark and Lola eventually got back from all the door knocking, they looked quite tired. They invited the rest of their friends on Facebook for a massive feast. It said, please come to the Grand Hall in Buckingham Palace. They explained that they were allowed to use the palace because Queen Catherine was so happy with having the Gospel of Matthew brought back to her. So they sent for lots of great food from the best markets in London. They wanted to give their friends the most amazing Christmas roast ever. When the great day came, they all gathered around the huge decorated table where Grandma Doreen and the Queen sat chattering. They were also remembering the good old days. The food looked mouth-watering, including a table full of meats with three big candles in the middle. When Lola and their friends had settled down, they were served the best roast turkey with all the trimmings. Here they remembered about being grateful and King William said the grace. Then they all sat and enjoyed the lovely meals and laughed at Mark's jokes. For some reason his jokes were getting better. He said, a prisoner escaped from prison and shouted, I'm free, I'm free. And then a boy came up behind him and said, yeah, well I'm for. <laughs> Slowly everyone started to trust one another. And... Any spare food was given out to those outside the palace. There was a fanfare presentation with a gift of freedom of the city for children. The king gave Dorian £20 million to build a new church. Fantastic, said Lola. I'm going to go all around the House of Parliament. They helped tidy up the plates and noticed in the corner there was a fantastic tree. Under the tree were presents for everyone. Their Christmas adventure was over, but they hoped that peace would carry on all throughout the year. The end. Our Christmas adventure, written and read by Pierpont Gamston Primary Writers Club. And what a huge thank you uh, to Mrs Milton and Mrs Linday for their hard work in getting the club organised and focusing and enabling the children to write such a superb Christmas story. But of course, the biggest thanks must go to the children themselves, who not only wrote the story well, but performed it fantastically. So Siren FM thanks Francesca, Louisa, Emily, Matthew, Dylan, Carla, Will, Cameron, Georgia, Charlotte, Leah... And Jessica, you should all be very, very proud of yourselves. Well done. You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3 FM. That was The Reading Room podcast Christmas special. Thanks ever so much for downloading the podcast. Uh, We'll see you in February. February.